Hi, this week on Red Astray, I'm going to be reading the 20th and 21st chapters of the first Keeper of the Lost Cities book by Shannon Messenger. Chapter 20. He's a mesmer, Morella told her the next day during lunch. Why? I don't know. It's weird that he won't tell me, isn't it? Sophie asked. It's Grady and Adeline. Everything about them is weird. I still can't believe you're living with them. Are they adopting you? I don't know. What exactly is a mesmer? She asked, changing the subject to something that didn't make her nauseated. Wow, you really don't know anything, do you? Never mind. I'm just teasing. Sheesh. A mesmer can put you in a trance and make you do anything they want while you're in it. It's rare. And not, not as rare as inflicting, but close. She really didn't want to have to ask another stupid question, but curiosity won out. And inflicting is... When someone makes you feel things, makes you laugh, makes you cry, causes you incredible pain, whatever they want, it's extremely rare. I only know of one, and he's on the council. But there might be another your history mentor would know. Sophie cringed at the word history. She'd had her first session with Lady Dara that morning, and it was... Strange. Impossible pictures flashed across the walls during the entire lecture. Elves using telekinesis to help the humans build the pyramids. A tidal wave swallowing Atlantis. An army of hairy brown dwarves hollowing out the Himalayas to build the sanctuary. But the strangest part was Lady Dara. She kept losing her train of thought every time her eyes met Sophie's. Then she'd mumble something about history in the making and return to the lecture. It had totally creeped Sophie out. Hey, did you hear? Morella interrupted. Sir Tyrgon's back. Who is he? She asked, relieved she'd remember to lie. Only the most, like, the most famous telepathy mentor ever. He retired when his friend Prentice ended up in exile. It was like a protest or something. Prentice? She tried not to sound too interested, but she'd been dying to know more about him since Alden had told her the information was classified. Yeah, he was a super talented telepath, but he got exiled like 12 years ago. How do you get exiled? You have to break a fundamental law. The council holds the tribunal, and if you're found guilty, they lock you away deep underground for the rest of eternity. Morella shrugged. I don't know what he did, but... I think it had to do with him being a keeper. It had to be pretty bad for the council to ruin his life, especially since it ruined his family's life, too. His wife died in a fluke accident not long after, and his son, Wiley, was adopted by Tyrgon. Sophie lo- Sophie's lunch churned in her stomach as Quinlan's words flashed through her mind. So this is why Prentice sacrificed everything. Quinlan had also implied she was a keeper. So if Prentice was a keeper... Could that mean they were related? Could he be her father? The pieces fit. Abandoning a child was illegal for humans. She doubted it was any less of a crime here, and if Prentice was a talented telepath, maybe he was a washer. Maybe he could alter the minds of two human parents and make them believe the child was theirs. But why? And he didn't get rid of Wiley, so why dump her? Was there something wrong? That wrong with her? unless it had something to do with her eye color, or the way her brain worked. Do you know Wiley? She asked quietly. She doubted she'd be brave enough to meet someone who could could be her brother, but she was still curious. Morella shook her head. He's in the elite levels, so he's 
secluded from the rest of us in the elite towers, were not allowed to go over there and interrupt their studies. Sophie couldn't decide if she was disappointed or relieved. Most likely, he didn't know anything. No one else seemed to, except Alden, and he wasn't telling. She'd have to figure it out on her own. She sorted through the scrambled bits of information in her head, searching for the clue that would finally put the pieces together. You okay? Marilla asked, reminding her that she wasn't alone. Yeah, sorry. She tried to sound casual when she asked her next question. Have you ever heard of something called Project Moonlark? Marilla frowned. Is that a sanctuary effort to rescue moonlarks? I have no idea. I heard it somewhere, and I don't know what it was. I thought you might know. She tried to find out more, but Grady never brought the scrolls out again, and she was too afraid to search the house. What if they caught her and kicked her out? Nope, never heard of it, but I doubt it's anything interesting. I know everything cool that goes around goes on around here. Morella opened a can of strawberry-flavored air and took a deep breath of the pink fl- flumes that spritzed around her. She licked her lips. Want some? Sophie shook her head, deciding to shove the disturbing questions into the dark corner of her mind, where she pushed everything else that was too painful to think about. She had enough to deal with already. Worried about your next session? Marilla asked. Sophie nodded. Dex's warning about Lady Yum failing prodigies had terrified her, but it didn't help when Marilla smirked and said, Yeah, good luck with that. That bad? Uh, yeah. Lady Galvin only mentors for the title. Being good at alchemy isn't the same as having a special ability, so unless she wanted to run some crazy apothecary like the Disneys, it was mentor or nothing. She hates it, and she takes it out on her prodigies, but who knows, maybe you'll become her new star pupil. That the words would have been encouraging if Marilla hadn't burst into a hysterical fit of giggles right after. She was still crackling cracking up when the bells chimed their intricate melody. Maybe Sophie imagined it, but the tone sounded ominous. A wide, round alchemy room smelled like burning hair, and the walls were lined with curved shelves. Half were filled with tiny pots of ingredients, and the other half were filled with what Sophie thought were trophies. But up close, she realized they were random gilded items. Hats, books, pieces of fruit, a pair of curved, pointy-toed shoes that looked suspiciously like the one she'd grown up believing elves wore. It was like King Midas had come through and turned everything he touched to gold. The center of the room held two empty lamp tables, one gleaming silver and the other sleek black, and the strangest experiment Sophie had ever seen. Lady Galvin wasn't there, so she dropped her stuff on the table and took a closer look at the giant bubble hovering over a ring of fire on the floor. Milky liquid filled the bubble, dancing up and down in the rhythm of the flames. Step back, Lady Galvin shouted, rushing over in a rustle of fabric. She yanked Sophie away. Do you have any idea what that is? She looked Sophie up and down and rolled her eyes. No, I suppose you don't. Lady Galvin was slender and wore her red-brown hair in an updo so tight and full of twists it gave Sophie a headache just looking at it. Her cape was hunter green, made of a silky fabric decorated with emeralds sewn in elaborate patterns. It swished with the slightest movement. It's alkahest, she announced. The universal solvent. It can only be stored in a bubble of itself because it dissolves everything else. Wood, steel, flesh. Sophie backed another step away. Is that what we're making today? Lady Galvin sighed the way Sophie's dad used to while doing his taxes. 
In the second, it's the second hardest substance for an alchemist to make. And don't you know anything about alchemy? I guess not, she admitted, and it probably wouldn't be wise to ask what the hard, sub, hardest substance to make was, even though she was curious. All I ask is for a decent prodigy, and what do I get? Lady Galvin stalked across the room to one of the shelves. I should be teaching masters t to turn living matter into gold, not little girls who don't know the difference between tincture and apollos. Dame Alina probably thinks it's funny forcing me to teach basic serums. Well, I won't have it. She removed a yellowed card from her small from a small box, grabbed an empty flask, and a few jars of ingredients. A long, twisted sliver, silver spoon from the shelves, and returned to Sophie. This serum is the first step in turning glass into iron. You'll have to start. I'll have you transmuting metals if I have to walk you through it step by step. Sophie glanced at the recipe. The chemical formula didn't look too hard. The ingredients weren't familiar, but the jars were labeled, and there were only two simple instructions. Lady Galvin fiddled with her cape and rolled her eyes as Sophie checked and rechecked each amount to make sure she wasn't making any mistakes. When she felt confident that she had it right, she poured everything into, a fla into the flask. When she plunged the spoon in and whipped the liquid the same way she'd learned to whip cream, DON'T! Lady Galvin shouted, rushing forward to stop her, a second too late. The liquid fizzed and rumpled, rumbled. Sophie jumped out of the way, just as sticky gray jelly exploded all over Lady Galvin's exquisite cape. Sophie watched in horror while the sludge dissolved the luxurious fabric. I am so sorry. She reached for the damaged cape to see if there was anything she could do to salvage it, but Lady Galvin grabbed her hand to stop her. That's when she noticed a red welt on the back of Sophie's wrist, where the, some of the slime had caught her. Sophie, she sighed. Better go to the healing center. Yes, ma'am. Sophie was hardly eager to see another doctor, but Lady Galvin looked ready to murder someone. She rushed to retrieve her satchel. Should I come back here afterward? No. Sophie slunk toward the door. Okay, see you next week. Lady Galvin's face darkened, and she turned away, muttering under her breath about incompetence. Sophie stumbled through the halls, the panic making it hard to think straight. Would Lady Galvin flunk her? Should she use the imparter to call Aldwin and see if he could help? You must be lost. The boy's deep voice brought her out of the trance. He wore green level full uniform and was sprawled across a bench, watching her with, a curio with curious ice-blue eyes. She blinked, noticing the hallways were stark white now. How did you know? He smirked. It's the middle of the session. Either you're lost or you're ditching, and clearly you're not ditching. Why couldn't I be ditching? She asked, not exactly sure why she was arguing. Are you? No. She admitted, his lips twisted into a crooked grin. You're the new girl, aren't you? She sighed and nodded. I'm Keith. Sophie, but I'm sure you already know that. He laughed. You may be the biggest news to hit the Academy since the Great Gullen incident three years ago, which, by the way, I had nothing to do with. He flashed a slightly wicked smile. But that's not a bad thing. Personally, I've always enjoyed being the center of attention. She didn't doubt that, from his dishe disheveled blonde hair to the way he rolled up his sleeves and left his shirt untucked. She could tell he was cool. Probably popular, too. So why was he talking to her? 
She almost asked him, but he but stopped herself at the last second. Where are you supposed to be? She asked. The universe. I ditch whenever I can. Lady Belva has the worst crush on me. I mean, I can't really blame her, he gestured to himself. But still, it's awkward, you know? She was 90% certain he was joking, but he, also, he was also very good looking. She was sure at least half the girls in school had a crush on him. And now I get to meet the mysterious new girl, he added. So I'd say ditching paid off pretty well. She felt herself blush and hoped he didn't notice. I'm hardly mysterious. I don't know. You won't tell me why you're not in session. Don't think I haven't noticed. She stared at her feet. That's because it's too embarrassing. I love embarrassing. He laughed when she stayed silent. Will you at least tell me where you're supposed to be? She sighed. Alchemy with Lady Galvin. Ugh, she's the worst. I had her as a level three, and she hated me. Probably because I turned her lab table to silver. But she said she wanted me to impress her. He winked. Still, I wouldn't mention that we're friends if I were you. Friends? Since when did cool, cute boys want to be her friends? Not that she was complaining. So what? Did Lady Galvin kick you out or something? He asked. Kind of. Now this I have to hear. You're going to laugh at me. Probably. He agreed. She cleared her. He clearly wasn't going to let it go, so she kept her eyes glued to the floor. I accidentally exploded the serum I was making. Right on cue, he burst into laughter. <laughs> Did you do any damage? Only to her cape. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you have any idea how epic that is? That cape is her pride and joy. Did she send you to Dame Molina's office? No, she sent me to the healing center. A little of it got on my hand. She glared at the ugly red welt. He studied her for a second, then shook his head. Wow, most girls would be crying about a wound like that. Most guys, too. Even I'd be playing it up for some symphony, sympathy and stuff. It must look worse than it is. Still, you think you should get it treated? Don't you think you should get it treated? I guess. He laughed again. You just turned wider than these walls. What's wrong? Nothing. There was no way she was telling him about her doctor phobia. She'd never hear the end of it. Come on, then. I'm taking you to the healing center so you don't get lost again. He shook his... He hooked his arm through hers and dragged her away before she could resist. The healing center consisted of three rooms, a treatment area with four empty beds, a huge laboratory where strange alchemy experiments were brewing, and the physician's personal office, where a familiar face sat at an enormous desk covered in paperwork. Sophie? Elwin asked. I figured I'd have to drag you back here to check up on you. I know, she said, very aware of the way Keith had cocked his head toward her. I have a tiny bird I need you to treat. No big deal. Well, let me check it out. As he got up, this a slinky gray creature hissed and scurried across the floor. Don't mind Bullhorn, Ellen said as Sophie backed against the door. He's harmless. Bullhorn looked like a demented ferret with beady purple eyes. What is he? A banshee. Adorable, isn't he? Uh, sure. Bullhorn snapped at her ankles. Keith laughed. What brings you here today, Keith? Elwin said. Just helping a fellow prodigy, sir. Elwin grinned. I notice you've had to miss your, miss your session to do it. I know, such a shame, he said dramatically. But Sophie needed help. So what could I do? What indeed? And I suppose you'll be wanting a pass to excuse you? What a good idea! 
You always have been one to seize an opportunity, Ellen handed Keith a slip of paper. Session will be over for another half hour, so I'd walk slow if I were you. Oh, I can't leave yet, not until I know Sophie will be okay. Mm-hmm. So, where's the bird? He asked Sophie. She wanted to be brave in front of Keith, but her arm still shook when Elwyn put his funny glasses on and flashed a blue light of orb, a blue orb of light around her hand. Elwyn frowned. This looks like an acid burn. How did you manage that? Um, slight accident in my alchemy session. Keith mimed. A huge explosion, complete with sound effects, destroyed Galvin's cape. Elwyn dropped her hand, cracking up. I wish I could have seen that. Sorry, he added when he caught her skull. Have a seat so I can treat you. Treat it. He had Sophie sit on one of the beds and grabbed a small jar from one of the shelves. She tried to stay calm as he rubbed the purple salve on the burn, but Keith saw her flinch. Out of curiosity, how did you explode the serum? I'm not sure. I measured everything twice and added it in the order. I was supposed to, but when I whipped it, it exploded. Whipped it? Yeah. The first thing... At first I thought it said WAP, but I figured I read it wrong, so I whipped, <laughs> whipped it. Elwin and Keith both, both, both burst out la into hysterical laughter. WAP means wash hands and present. Keith managed to explain between laughs. Oh, she was officially an idiot. Why didn't she ask for f clarification? Elwin cleared his throat. It's an honest mistake. Could have happened to anyone. It didn't. It happened to her. She knew she wasn't going to live this down anytime soon. This is going to be epic, Keith said, confirming her fear. I can't wait for tomorrow. She sighed. At least that made one of them. Chapter 21 A highly embellished version of the Great Cape Destruction spread, spread through the school faster than the white fires in her old city. And Sophie knew Keith had everything to do with it. Even her mentor mentors had heard about it. Sir Connolly joked that they'd have to work their way up to bottling fire and elementalism, so she wouldn't burn down the school. Lady Anwin told her in multispecial studies that she hadn't laughed so hard in 324 years. And Sir Faxon had to cancel his metaphysics lecture because he'd snorted lush berry juice all over his clothes. Once again, Sophie could feel everyone watching her as she wandered the halls, except this time they wanted to know her. Kids invited her to sit with them during lunch. They introduced themselves during orientation between classes. They complimented her eyes. Dex told her the next week that they were getting requests for brown-eyed drops at Slurps and Burps. He was in the process of trying to create them. Sophie couldn't believe it. Overnight, she'd somehow become popular. Grady was relieved when she told him. The more she belonged at Foxfire, the harder it would be for Bront to get her expelled. But she refused to take anything for granted. She still sat with Morella during lunch. Dex joined them when his detention was over, and Jensing slipped in a few days later. But he'd reached out to her on the first day, on her first day, so he was allowed. Plus, her sessions were incredibly challenging. Lady Galvin didn't fail her, but she made her work on the opposite side of the room, which turned out to be a wise decision. Fires and explosions were a regular occurrence. The problem was, Sophie didn't ha 
just have to learn. She had to unlearn a lifetime of human knowledge where things like Alcahes didn't exist. All the laws she'd learned in chemistry were wrong and tripped her up, but she had the same problem with some of her other sessions. Levitating was supposed to be impossible, so was catching wind in jars and bottling rainbows. She constantly had to remind herself not to trust her instincts because they were all wrong, and even when she tried her hardest, she still messed things up, which was why her telepathy sessions became the highlight of her week. Every skill came effortlessly, and she was amazed at the things she could do with her mind. Tyrgon taught her how to shield her brain from unwanted human thoughts in case she was ever around humans again and how to transmit her thoughts to someone else's mind. She'd even learned how to project mental images onto special paper, like a physics photograph. For the first time in her life, she didn't mind being a telepath. It was actually pretty cool, and no one could deny her talent. Even Bront wouldn't be able to. Too bad she had to keep it secret. It would have been fun to shut Stina up whenever she teased Sophie about needing remedial studies. Stina hadn't manifested a special ability, so it would kill her to know Sophie was a telepath, being trained by the greatest telepathy mentor ever. But she'd have to be patient. Stina would learn the truth eventually. Plus, she had other problems. Deanna avoided her like the plague, and Sophie had a strong suspicion she was keeping Fitz away from her. Two months had passed since she'd moved to Havenfield, and except for a couple waves across the hall, she hadn't seen or talked to him. She missed him, more than she wanted to admit. The next week, Sophie finally saw Vienna waiting for the Leap Master without her snotty friend Maruka, another member of the I Hate Sophie Foster Club, and decided to try reaching out. Vienna spotted her and cut in line, leaping home before Sophie could reach her. The sigh Sophie let out sounded more like a growl. What's wrong? Dex asked, catching up with her. Bianna, I don't know what her problem is, but I'm really getting sick of it. She's just jealous. She used to be the prettiest girl in school. As soon as the words left his mouth, he turned bright red. Sophie knew her face had to be redder than his. Neither of them seemed to know what to say after that, so she waved goodbye and left back to Havenfield without another word. She came home to total bedlam. Grady and Adeline were struggling to subdue a very angry woolly mammoth, and the gnomes were chasing a small pack of rabbits with antlers. You're just in time, Grady called to her as he ducked under a swinging trunk. He pointed to a lump of trembling purple fur. Can you get the vermin in the pin in a pen? Uh, sure. Thanks. Grady boosted Adeline onto the mammoth's back. The huge hairy elephant trumpeted in protest an earth-shaking squeal that left Sophie's ears ringing. Sophie crept toward the purple mound of fur, hoping the vermin was as timid as it looked. A twig snapped under her foot. Hiss! The creature uncurled, revealing a giant rodent face with glassy black eyes, pointy fangs, and bulging cheeks. She'd always thought hamsters were pretty cute, but this Rottweiler-sized beast was Hamsterzilla, and it looked ready to trample her like a Japanese city. Nice hamster vermin, verminion thing, she cooed, taking a step away. Snarl. Hamsterzilla was not impressed. 
You have to make it chase you to the pin, Sophie, Edeline shouted as she tried to steer her mammoth by its furry ears. How do I do that? Grady dashed after Edeline. Get it mad. But what if it catches me? It won't, Edeline promised. Better run really fast, just in case, Grady added. Sophie knew this would probably end up end up in the top 50 stupidest things she'd done. But she picked up a huge clod of mud and nailed the vermin in the gut. Growl. She looked. She took the hint and bolted for the nearest pen, only to realize Grady's plan had a fatal flaw. The vermin blocked the only exit, and he seemed to know it. She could have sworn his beady eyes were laughing at her. A little help here, she called as the mutant hamster closed in. On it, the gnomes took over helping Adeline, and Grady raced across the yard, jumping the vermin and pinning and pinned it. Purple fl- fur flew as the beast thrashed to escape. Grady grunted. Okay, Sophie, I want you to put one hand on each of his cheeks and press as hard as you can. After a few tries and a lot of snarling, she managed to get her hands into position and squeeze. The vermin's jaw unlocked and an assortment of dead furry things spewed all over the ground. Ew, she whined. I know, Grady agreed. There's a pile of bags and some gloves in the shed so you can clean it up. She stared at the mound of flesh and fur. We can trade jobs, Grady offered. The vermin growled again. Sophie sighed as she trudged back to the shed, slipping on the oversized gloves and made her way back to the pile. I am so taking a shower after this. She threw dead squirrels and rats and things she couldn't begin to identify into the heavy burlap sack. One moved in her hand as she squ- and she squealed, jumping back. What? This thing isn't dead. You'd better take it to Edeline, then. See if there's anything we- she can do. Sophie stared at the quivering ball of gray fur, afraid to touch it again. My arms are getting pretty tired here, Sophie. Snarl, the vermin added. She steeled her nerves and threw the rest of the dead things into the sack. Then she picked up the live creature, trying not to shriek as he trembled in her hands. He was the size of her palm with enormous green eyes, furry ears, and bat-like wings. His tiny chest heaved as he struggled to breathe. Sophie raced across the pastures toward the shed. Edeline, I need your help! Edeline rushed to her side, wiping mammoth wool off her tunic. Sophie held uh, out the suffering creature. Do you think you can save him? Adeline's gentle fingers probed through his fur. He has some deep scratches, and his leg is broken, but we can try. Sophie followed Adeline into one of the stone outbuildings. Beyond the shelves of carefully organized supplies, there was a space set up like a veterinarian's office. Adeline laid the creature flat on his back on a sterile table, sterile table spreading out his limbs and wings. She smeared a yellow salve over the wounds, then set the leg and conjured up an eyedropper and a bottle of youth. She dropped a, she dripped a single drop of liquid onto his furry lips. Sophie squeezed Edeline's arms as, the, as a tiny purple tongue popped out and licked the drop of water. Edeline stared where Sophie's hands t- hand touched her. Her eyes turned glassy. Sophie pulled away. Sorry. No, it's... <clears throat> she cleared her throat. Can you keep an eye on him while I help Grady finish up? Sure. She waited for Edeline to leave, then placed another drop on the creature's lips. Don't die, little guy. She whispered, touching his tongue, watching his tongue pull the water into his mouth. Twelve drops later, and his breathing was steady. He curled into a tiny ball. 
That's a good boy, Sophie cooed, stroking the fur along his back. He rewarded her with a, squeakly, with a squeaky rumbling in his chest. She smiled, remembering Marty's crackling purr. How's the patient? Grady asked from the doorway. He stood next to Adeline, both of them watching Sophie with small smiles. I think he's doing better. He drank a bunch of, a bunch of water and now he's sleeping. Adeline nodded. That's a good sign. Do you want to wash up and have some dinner? Can I bring him with me? I don't want to leave him alone. Grady grabbed a small cage from one of the shelves and filled it with dinosaur fluff from a nearby barrel before handing it to her. Good job, Sophie. You saved his life. She brought the cage inside, and after an incredibly hot, soapy shower, met Grady and Adeline downstairs for dinner. She kept the cage with her at the table to keep an eye on the creature. He'd rolled onto his back and his mouth open, with his mouth open and tongue hanging out. If it weren't for the chainsaw-esque snores vibrating the cage, she might have worried he was dead. What is he? She asked with a mouthful of bretel, a tuber that tasted like sausage. An imp. Grady grumbled. They're trouble. When I was a kid, we, I, one got inside my treehouse. I have never seen such a disaster. You want to keep him, don't you? Adeline guessed. Sophie shrugged. Maybe. Adeline smiled. You aren't seriously thinking about this, Etta. Have you been around an imp before? Please tell me you're not afraid of a six-inch ball of fur, Adeline teased. You should have seen my treehouse. Plus, they bite. Did you know that? And their bite is venomous. It won't kill you, but it stings. A lot. Sophie looked at the tiny snoring body and tried to see the vicious monster Grady was, was describing. All she found was a cute little lump of fur whose life she had saved. Grady, we tame dinosaurs and yetis. We can handle an imp. Adeline argued. Grady laughed. I can see I'm outnumbered here, but don't say I didn't warn you. Sophie and Adeline shared a smile. Then Adeline helped her bring the cage to her room. Sophie chose a table by the window so the little guy would have sunlight during the day and crouched down to check on him. He was still conked out, snoring like a wood chipper. But do you want to name him, Sophie? Adeline asked. Sophie blushed. I know it's silly, but I kind of like Iggy. Iggy the Imp. I like it. She placed a hand on Sophie's shoulder, and Sophie straightened. Sorry, do you mind? No, it's nice, Sophie whispered. It was the first time Adeline had touched her. Adeline held her breath as she used her other hand to brush a strain of hair off Sophie's cheek. Sophie closed her eyes and leaned into Adeline's hand. Her heart seemed to swell inside her chest, filling an empty space she'd almost forgotten was there. Her human parents had been generous with hugs and touches, and she hadn't realized how much she'd missed those gestures. She held still, afraid to do anything to ruin the moment. Adeline swept her hand across Sophie's forehead again and let out a sigh. You should get to bed. Her fingers brushed down Sophie's cheek as she pulled away. Sophie blinked and nodded. I'll get ready. Good, Adeline smiled, and her eyes glistened with tears. I hope you sleep okay, she added with a dubious glance at the noisy cage. Me too. Sophie's cheek still tingled where Adeline's fingers had left tiny trails of warmth. Adeline? She asked as Adeline turned to leave. Adeline's eyes met hers. Thank you. It took Adeline a second to answer. You're welcome. Good night, Sophie. Good night. 
When Sophie climbed into bed a few minutes later, it finally felt like home.